Good morning, family. It is so good to be with you all today. And visitors, thank you so much for joining us. We're so grateful that you chose to be with us. And if you have any questions about Fourth Avenue, we would love to get to know you and your family. Thank you so much for being here. We as human beings have a pretty inflated view of ourselves, don't we? I don't know about y'all, but watching a lot of football on the weekends makes me see this even more, where a guy on special teams runs down the field and makes a tackle and gets up and flexes on his person he just tackles. Like, dude, this is special teams. You're not, you're not even playing on offense or defense. And anytime there's a moment that someone can celebrate and beat their chest and point to the name on the back of their jersey, they do it, right? That's one way that the elevated self looks. Another way is simply refusing to listen to other people. Whenever someone is saying, hey, we really need you to change this habit in your life, it's destroying you, we're like, nah, that's not a big deal. Or even in something like service, something that looks on the surface to be outward facing, it's for the good of other people, in our hearts we still could be feeling superior or holier than somebody else who is not doing this. We oftentimes have this inflated view and put ourselves in a position that we are not in. And some of that might come from a place of insecurity and feeling like we need to find our worth and approval in some of that stuff. Some of that may come because subconsciously we do think the world revolves around us. But what we're talking about today is a super important topic. It is both the oldest sin and the root of all the others. It's the sin of the devil, for that matter. It's what we know as the vice of pride. And whenever I say vice, I mean it's this corruptive and destructive habit that shapes our character and is deeply implanted into our hearts. It's this defiance in our hearts, refusing to let God be in control and instead putting ourselves in control. Pride is essentially making gods out of ourselves. It is self-worship. It is self-exaltation. And real quick, I'm going to do this really fascinating exercise that I just learned about, okay? So take two fingers and put it right here on your neck. Do you guys feel a pulse? If so, then you struggle with pride. <laughs> guys, this is something that we are all in the same boat with, right? We all struggle with this vice, and it plays itself out in so many different ways. As Rebecca DeYoung says in her amazing book, Glittering Vices, she looks at vices and sins that we face as humans, and she says, whenever we carefully examine each of the vices, we eventually unearth the same familiar, prideful pattern to provide happiness for ourselves through whatever God's substitute we choose. Pleasure, approval, wealth, worth, power, or status. We are not willing to let God be in control. Whatever our prideful patterns are, whatever our choice sins are, they all trace back to the same root, pride. It all goes back to this defiant heart posture that we have towards God, refusing to accept him as the Lord of our lives and instead elevating ourselves to what we believe is better. Whenever I think of this heart posture and, and thinking about the enemies of Scripture, one of the first characters of the Bible that comes to mind is Pharaoh. So this morning, we're going to be looking at pride by doing a sort of case study on Pharaoh. 
It's most likely that Pharaoh in Exodus is not representing the same figure for the entirety of it. It's talking about the person who is in that role. And Pharaohs of Egypt, they had to have had a really, really hard time with pride because they actually thought that they were gods. It's kind of hard to not have a self-inflated view whenever you think you are a god. And in Exodus, we see Pharaoh become this source of oppression in so many different ways. And the first of these ways is in Exodus 1, beginning in verse 9. This is after saying um, that he wants to ultimately kill the firstborn of the Hebrew boys. And it says, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the reason that Pharaoh did this atrocity was because he was afraid. Which leads to our first point about pride today, that pride fears the loss of power. Pharaoh didn't want to lose power or control over these people. He liked the production that they could give him. And this fear is no different for us today. People still have a very hard time accepting defeat, losing control of their organization, being held accountable to other people. It seems like if power is ever on the table, our go-to move is grab it all as opposed to delegate and release it. So in keeping this power, we see Pharaoh respond with the plan of how he's going to do it. It says, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. Pharaoh chose to oppress Israel by making them slaves for 400 years working under grueling conditions, which leads to another insight on pride, that pride sees people as tools. People, relationship is not for the sake of love and relationship itself, but what can I get out of that relationship? How can what you do benefit me? We need to be careful, church, not to use people for our production or our self-benefit, but see the human dignity in each person and not see them as tools. After seeing the state of his people in these harsh conditions, God, through Moses, which that's an important insight, through Moses, God is exercising power under. He is lifting up Moses to do his work, as opposed to Pharaoh, who is power over, oppressing his people. God is lifting up Moses to set his people free. And he charges Moses to go to Pharaoh and to preach, let my people go. And the first time that Moses communicates this to Pharaoh, this is Pharaoh's response in Exodus 5, verse 2. Oh, is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Which, again, another insight on pride. Pride refuses to listen. This could be because we think that we're never wrong, that we know reality better than other people, that we're not even going to hear people who are beneath us, and that could be people who are not as educated, that could be people that don't have the same life experiences, 
That could be people who are stuck in their ways, right? Whatever that gap is that we have, we do not like listening to other people. And there are six or seven times in Exodus where it says that Pharaoh refused to listen, that his heart was so hardened. And I feel like that is very similar to our time today. I I feel like what I see is people yelling at each other, yelling over each other, taking turns yelling at each other, but there's really not much listening. Church, let's be a listening church. There is such a need for that in our communities and in our worlds. People are dying to have someone care enough about them just to listen to them. And after Pharaoh refuses this request, it's not enough just to say no to letting the Israelites go. In verse 6 of chapter 5, that same day Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. I don't know about you, but Egypt kind of sounds like corporate America to me. (laughs) All about production. Your value is in what you do. Your worth is in what you achieve. Because Pharaoh values his production so much and all of his power, he wants to maintain that at any cost. And here we see that pride seeks to punish any threats. Since Moses poses a threat to hurting Pharaoh's workforce, he makes the conditions harder to communicate that they are never going to escape. We need to be careful to not let fear drive us to seek punishment of our enemies or any of the threats in our life. So after Pharaoh makes conditions harder, he then turns the blame on Moses as to why this is happening. So as some of the leaders of the Hebrews start complaining to Pharaoh, Pharaoh spins this on Moses, and we read what the Hebrew leaders then say when they confront Moses. In verse 20, it says, As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands, an excuse to kill us. So as Pharaoh spins this, we see that pride makes other people the bad guys. Pharaoh didn't have to respond that way, right? He didn't have to make work harder for these people. That was his choice. He willingly did that but he is spinning it to make Moses look like the reason this is happening. And then Moses then takes it up with God after that. But we so often refuse to take blame for our actions, to accept wrong that we have done. And instead, we shift blame on other people so we can still be the heroes of our story. So as Pharaoh's heart is continually being revealed, God starts coming at Pharaoh harder and harder and harder. It starts with the sign of Aaron's staff coming down and being a uh, serpent or a reptile or a crocodile or something. Hebrew's kind of ambiguous in that way. Um, But then Pharaoh tasks his magicians to do the same thing. And then we see a very similar situation with the first plague. Whenever God turns the Nile River into blood and then Pharaoh again asks his magicians to replicate it. In verse 22 of chapter 7, 
It says, again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh was essentially saying, anything you can do, I can do better, right? Which shows us that pride competes to stay on top. Whether that is looking at the competition and what they're doing and just trying to stay slightly ahead of them, or whether, <laughs> whether that's being the one-upper in conversations whenever your friend says a story and then you come back with a story that's even better, or whenever you start name-dropping and talking about the connections that you have to make yourself seem better. These are all things that College Kyle loved to do. Really, all of these points are like confessions of my past and present. Um, but with pride, it's all about being the top dog. But whenever you're trying to stay the top dog, there comes a point where you can't outmatch your competition. God then brings a plague of gnats to come over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh then turns to his magicians again. In chapter 8, verse 18, it says, Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing again with their secret arts, but this time they failed. And the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. Which leads to a really important point. Pride refuses to accept reality even whenever the truth is evident. Pharaoh should see that he is clearly outmatched here, right? But even whenever the facts were before him, his own people were telling him the truth, he would not listen. Any reality that is different than me being the center of the universe and the most powerful being in the world is not true and to be neglected. And we see that in ourselves too. Anytime that we reject the love and care and consideration of our loved ones thinking, ah, we don't, we don't really need to do that. I don't, I don't need to change my, my diet or my health habits. I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. We have a hard time accepting the reality that is before us. But for Pharaoh, because his hardness of heart, the plagues kept coming. And a pretty nasty one, uh, a plague of flies came and it really hurt Egypt. Pharaoh agrees to let Israel go and worship God if Moses would take them all away. And so Moses does in chapter 8, verse 30. So Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove all the flies. And the Lord did as Moses asked and caused the swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. But Pharaoh, again, became stubborn and refused to let his people go. Even though Pharaoh said that he was going to let them go and do this, the moment that the bad stuff went away, he changed his heart. He changed his tune and was like, nah, actually, I'm not going to let you do it. He did not follow through, which shows us that pride doesn't follow through when there is no self-benefit. The moment that things started looking better for Pharaoh, he shifts gears and goes back to his desire to be on top. So often as people, we say that we're going to do something. We say that we're going to commit, and then we don't follow through because it doesn't benefit me anymore. So the Lord kept bringing plagues at Pharaoh, and this time it was a plague of fire and hail, and it devastated Egypt. 
In chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You do not need to stay any longer. You might read those words and be like, oh, it seems like Pharaoh's actually changing his tune a little bit here. Nope, (laughs) he is not. Because right after the hail ends, we read in verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again. And Pharaoh again became stubborn because his heart was hard. Pharaoh refused to let the people leave just as the Lord had predicted through Moses. With Pharaoh, we see that pride feels sorry when it's in trouble, but doesn't really repent. He paid good lip service saying that he had sinned, but the moment the self-detriment was gone, so was his remorse. So often apologies come whenever we get caught, right? They come whenever we're in trouble and we need to save face, but it's not a genuine remorse for the actions that we have done. And whenever we get in trouble, we say the magic words, we sign the papers we need to sign, whatever, but then we just keep on doing what we were doing. There is no true repentance in our hearts. We don't change anything. And since that is the case in Pharaoh's prideful heart, the plagues continue. Another plague was one of locusts. And this, at this point, his own people start crying out. We see in chapter 10, verse 7, Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? Which demonstrates to us that pride refuses to give up even when their own side is in ruins. Sometimes people are so prideful. Sometimes people are so stubborn. They do not care about how their actions are affecting the people that they love the most. And that could be whether it's our families, our friends, our peers, our coworkers. If the choice comes between my way and being right versus the benefit of other people, so often pride chooses me. And so the plagues continue, and we're going to skip to the last one, which is the worst. The death of the firstborn male in every household of Egypt. A sort of symmetry with what Pharaoh did in the beginning of Exodus. And that was the final straw that made Pharaoh kind of change. In chapter 12, verse 32, he responds, Get out. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. (laughs) Which, even that last line is kind of wild to me, right? Even in this deep sorrow... He still asks for a self-beneficial thing. Bless me as you go. And we see this tragic reality with pride, that pride often waits until tragedy to give in. Sometimes we have to have a nightmare to wake us up. Sometimes in life we have to have a really hard slap in the face to see things a little bit differently. We have to wait until the walls around us start crumbling And we have nowhere else to go before we actually start doing something different. So Pharaoh then lets them go to worship. However, God begins leading them out of Egypt for good. And this makes Pharaoh angry. He changes his mind and he sends the whole army after them, chasing them into the sea. And here we see their end in chapter 14. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea. 
Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Which leads to the final point, that pride will lead you and potentially other people to their deaths. Sometimes even with tragedy, even with all the bridges burned, even with the house crumbling around us, we still choose ourselves. Sometimes we take our desire for control to our graves. And we see with Pharaoh that pride truly did come before the fall. If you didn't know the view of the Egyptian afterlife, it has a scale. It's on the bottom left of that wall. It has a scale on the left side is a heart, and on the right side is a feather. And it's thought that if your heart is lighter than the feather, then you were seen as a righteous person. You lived a righteous life. But if your heart was heavier than the feather, then you were unrighteous to, and then to be consumed. And this is why the hardness of heart of Pharaoh is so poetic here. His heart is stone. This is more than just being stubborn. This is wickedness. This is evil. Pride is something that is so devastating to our hearts. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride is the enemy of love. Because as Christians, right, we know the greatest commands are both about love. Love of the other, primarily, right? But whenever we're only thinking about ourselves, whenever it's all about me, it is antagonistic to what love is. Church, we must resist pride. We must resist it eating away at our soul and our hearts. So how do we do that? Well, you're going to hear me say a lot in my sermons forever. Let's look to Jesus. I believe Jesus tells us in Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The path forward is humility. If pride is the root of all sin, humility is the root of all righteousness. To be clear, humility is not seeing yourself as this awful, pitiful, wretched person. Because in Christ, we have a new identity. We are powerful. We have a lot of confidence in God, right? So humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. With humility, we are okay with not being the center of the universe. We are okay with not being the center of attention and having our needs come first before every other person. We are rightly placing Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And how we grow in humility, again, I think we look to Jesus. So in Mark 10, I love this passage of scripture. Every time I read it, I'm just like, God is awesome. 
after James and John request to sit next to Jesus in the places of honor whenever the kingdom comes, and all of the disciples are really mad that they asked that question, right? A lot of pride kind of brewing in there. Jesus says this in Mark 10, 42. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, a.k.a. exactly what we've been talking about all today with Pharaoh, right? That power over, that oppression. And then verse 43, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And in verse 45, just, Jesus is amazing. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Whew. <laughs> There's so much to take away from this scripture, but I believe growing in humility starts with perspective. Specifically, this perspective, that the Son of Man came not to uh, be served, but to serve. We're talking about Jesus, God, who is fully God in human form, the one who is preeminent before creation even existed, the one that helped breathe life into creation, the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He chose to come and be a servant, a servant of all people. And he died for his prideful creation. God fully revealed in Jesus is just so beautiful. And while the one who is deserving of all praise comes and serves and dies for his people, we're down here beating our chests in pride thinking that we've done something with our lives. Expecting people to treat us like royalty. So obsessed with ourselves. I think the first step in humility is getting that right perspective of how amazing God is and how small we are. And once we have that perspective, we also see that growing in humility requires awareness of our pride. It's gonna be hard to fight against pride if you can't even recognize it in your own heart. And simply recognizing pride in your heart is a great tactic to grow in humility because in the moment, whenever you're acting selfishly and you see that, you're able to see it and repent of it in the moment and start living differently. You can say, sorry guys, I shouldn't have said that. I was looking out for myself, not for the betterment of the group. The more that we grow in awareness of our pride, the more that we can fight against it, and the better chance we have at killing it. So after having this perspective, after having awareness of our pride, growing in humility requires a life of gratitude. I can't express to you how important this is. I think a question that's really good to ask yourself is do I operate through the lens in this world of entitlement or with entitlement or do I operate with the lens of gratitude? This is a question I've been asking myself a lot lately. Because through my life, I think the default state has been entitlement. I expect people, whenever I pay for something, to give it to me exactly how I ordered it. I expect whenever I do this thing that people are going to compliment me. I expect that everything is going to be exactly the way I want it and I'm going to be able to get whatever I want because I deserve it. 
But that is such a toxic and unhealthy way to see the world. I'm growing more and more, and I, guys, I have so much more to grow in this. I'm not saying I have arrived by any means. But I'm growing more and more in seeing the world through the lens of gratitude. I know I don't deserve anything. I deserve absolutely nothing. I don't. I can't take pride and pat myself on the back for any of my abilities or the blessings in my life or the life situation I was brought up in. That was all God. Every single good thing in my life, every single one of them, is not something I have earned by pulling myself up from my bootstraps or whatever. It is all a gift from God that I do not deserve. And I'll tell you, looking at the world through that lens changes absolutely everything in your world. You don't come expecting all the best things. You don't come and turn on people whenever they don't give you the thing that you're wanting. But whenever you do get that good thing, you see it as a gift. A gift given by God. So I want to challenge you guys. Something that I've started doing in the mornings, on your commute to work, as you're getting ready, even better, before your feet even hit the floor getting out of bed, try to think of a few things that you're grateful for. Think about the things that you are blessed with by God. That changes everything. And lastly, growing in humility requires following in the example of Christ's sacrifice. Church, let's be a servant of all. Knowing that God is in the center of universe, of the universe, and yet that same God chose to come down and serve. How on earth can we not? So let's learn to sacrifice. Let's sacrifice our time in service to our community, to our neighbors. Let's sacrifice our time via listening to people. Again, I think that's so important. Let's sacrifice our money. And instead of spending it on all the things that we want, let's think a little bit about how our money, our margin, can be a blessing to someone who is in life or death serious circumstances. Whether that's a person, whether we're giving to an organization or a church that is helping the kingdom of God come here on earth as in heaven. So in short, let's focus on PAGS, okay? Here's a little acronym, hopefully to help you remember. To have the perspective that God, the God of the universe, the all-powerful one, came to be a servant. Let's have the awareness that we are prideful, and we have to grow in recognizing that pride. Let's live lives of gratitude. Let's see everything through a lens of gratitude, that the things that are good in life are a gift that I do not deserve. And let's live sacrificially. Let's exercise power under. Let's bring up people, empower them like what God does. Could you take a second with me and just imagine what the world would look like without pride? If there was no more ego in this world, how different everything would be? If people stopped seeking recognition for all of their achievements and instead could then focus that energy towards the good that other people are doing. If instead of being bitter and angry whenever someone has something that you don't, you can celebrate that they have that good thing and you are content with where you are. Instead of buying all the luxurious choice things that are ultimately going to rust and decay anyway, using that margin to be a blessing to people 
who need it to survive in the world. Instead of getting angry when that person cuts you off in traffic and you might say some things you don't want to say, that we're quick to forgive, that we turn the other cheek. Could you imagine that if instead of being super lazy and comfortable and just doing what comes easy to us, we choose to do the hard work of Jesus? What a world that would be. And church, that's the world we're heading towards. That's what heaven's going to look like, a world without pride and a bunch of people who are conformed to the humility of Jesus. And I can't wait for that day. So this morning, I said a lot about pride. And I want to take a second and just and pray and ask for Jesus to come into our hearts and convict us. Every single one of those points, I know for me, is something that I have struggled with at one point or another. And I'm still struggling with. Lord, I pray that you know what's going on in our hearts. You know the hardness in our hearts. You know the stubbornness that we have. And Lord, I pray that you just convict us. Help us identify our pride. Help us to live differently. Lord, may we kill our pride. Spirit of God, help us kill our pride. If you have any needs this morning, if there is anything you would like prayers for, we're going to have people lined up around the room to pray for you. If you would like to confess your sin, if you would like to get baptized today, any of that, we can make that happen this morning. And I want to end again, if y'all would go ahead and stand. I want to end with um, a confession, a communal confession about our pride. So if you would read these words with me. Lord of heaven and earth, we confess that our hearts have been hardened by pride. Through our pride, we acknowledge that we have harmed your beloved creation. Through your spirit, heal us of this cancer to our souls. Strengthen us to be a servant of all and reflect the image of Jesus to our surrounding world. Forgive us of this grievous sin and lead us into the life of humility. Amen.